podcast and your source for the know-how you need to know now. My name is Eric Ferguson. I am the communications manager for ITS. Um, and uh, usually I'm the third smartest person on the show, but today I'm the fourth smartest person on the show. I'm joined by Jason and Andrea, my usual co-hosts, but we have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Chris Crode, Chief Information Security Officer for Syracuse University. Chris, thank you very much for joining us here today. I am happy to be here. And I'd like a t-shirt with an intro, please. You absolutely. Well, I tell you, you should get a t-shirt for talking to us on a day when it's 73 degrees <laughs> outside. We really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, happy to be here. All right. So let's just very broadly, um, before we get into some specifics, what does what does it mean to be the chief information security officer? This is actually a question I didn't prep you for, but, you know, what what is so what does all that entail in, you know, I know there's a, a lot that it entails, but how do you, when, when someone that, you know, just in like real life ask you, what do you do? What do you tell them you do? I go to meetings. Um, <laughs> no. Now, no. Before um, you continue, I got to ask, being the, the title chief, do you get a badge? That's what a lot of the students ask. No, we don't we don't want badges because we don't want to be seen as a police force, to be honest. I mean, it really is. We don't we don't want to be seen as the police. It's not what we do. No. So what does a CISO do? Um, it, I do. I go to a lot of meetings, but it's really about driving an information security program for the organization. You know, it's... We've got a lot of data in the university for um, everybody who's ever touched the university in some way. Alumni, applicants, students, current and former employees, we have their information and we really have to do the best we can to protect it. Um, my job is to try to uh, build a program that works in a university environment to protect it, but still allow the university to do its job. Because security is a great thing, but it can it absolutely can get in the way of getting things done. And um, I try to help identify the risk and how we can deal with the risk. That was an excellent response. And, and you and you were not prepared for that, so I appreciate it. But let's talk about the hard hitting stuff. Let's talk about fishing. Okay. No. <laughs> sure. But like so yeah. fishing fishing is just something that like, you know, I don't know exactly when it started happening. Um, you know, I'm sure it's been going on in some form for twenty five yeah, when the email started, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, this is something I can try to exploit. It's still kind of a new term, I think, to some people, especially because it's spelled funny. You know, it's why is it fishing with a PH? But so, like, can you briefly explain, like, what fishing is? It has nothing to do with the jam band, which is still, I like, I feel like they've got to be fish. The band probably has to be pretty upset about this. But um, so what is fishing and like, what are good tip offs for like, this is a phishing email? Yeah. Um, well, first, I think if, if memory serves, I could be wrong. Uh, phishing was officially officially started in 2004 on America Online. That's when they actually consider it it really started, and and got that term. I, I could be off on my date a little bit. Um, so phishing is where the bad I call them the bad guys. The formal term is bad actors, but I just call them bad guys. It's where the bad guys are uh, trying to trick users into doing something we don't want our users to do. Um, they send an email that has what we call a pretext, which is uh, a, a story to try to trick you into believing what they're saying and usually doing something like clicking a link. Um, that link will usually lead to something bad at various levels. Um, so it's it's social engineering is, is the other official term. They are trying to um, hack the human as opposed to hacking computers because it's easier to hack humans. And it's harder to patch humans, right? So, <laughs> Big time. amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, 
and the reasons it's popular and has continued to get uh, more and more popular over the years is because it works and it's cheap and it's easy. Mm. So uh, I think that answered part of it. Um, yeah, and then, so um, so two two I'll, I'll do two follow ups. What's a good like? What are good ways? We've we've talked to Andrew about this before, but I'm interested in your take. What are good ways to recognize a phishing email? And then when there is a phishing email going around the university, what does your team do? How do how do they respond? So how to recognize it? I'll admit the bad guys are getting better all the time, and it's getting harder and harder to recognize them. But one of the the biggest tip offs is when they give you a link to click on. If you hover your mouse over the link, and you look at what actually pops up, you know. You've got to put a little thought into that and say, does it make sense? So if the link says myslice.syr.edu something, and you hover your mouse pointer over that, and it comes up as something from Eastern Europe, um, or West, it, it's probably a good idea not to click on that link. That's, that's a big indicator. Uh, the sent address, sometimes they'll try to be pretending they're coming from the university, but when you look at the, the from address, it's not an syr.edu address. Sometimes it is because they will compromise accounts at the university and use those to fish us. Um, and sometimes they're just trying to spoof those. You know, they're trying to put in fake addresses to sneak them through that way. Those are two of the best ways. You can also pay attention to the language. Um, is it well written? That is getting more and more difficult as the bad guys are learning our email formatting, you know, what our style is, how we write, what fonts we use, what colors we use, and including those in the, in the messages. And it's getting more and more challenging for people to identify them. I like to tell people, if you're not sure, ask. Ask mm -hmm. somebody. Mm -hmm. Ask your local IT staff. Ask the support center. Um, send a message off to us. Our email address in my office is IT security at syr.edu. Um, you can send a note to us and we'll try to help determine that. And then um, in terms of um, the SOC and Security Operations Center, do I have that right? Yep, that's right. So what? Do, uh, when there's a phishing email going around or when you become alerted to something, what what is, and, and without getting too specific, but like how, do, how does your team respond? So once we're alerted, the first thing the SOC does um, is they will uh, they have some scripts they run, and we use uh, we have some tools that collect logs and correlate those logs. We try to see how many people received the message, um, so we can go through the mail logs. And, and we're not reading people's email. I always like to say that when I say we're going through logs, people think we're snooping. We're not reading your email. We're looking at you know did somebody get a get a message with this subject? So we try to get a count of how many people got it. If it's a really big number and it's a really well written. Fish, we're going to try to do some kind of notice potentially, maybe through your office or through marketing communications, or maybe we realize, hey, it's time we send out a reminder message. We will do things like block the link from, from the campus network. So if you're sitting on the campus network and you click the link, if we've reacted quickly enough, you won't get there from campus because we block it. Um, that's a little more challenging now since people are working from home. Uh, we can't block home, you know, we can't manage your home router and what happens there. But it, there's still some, we still get some efficacy out of that. Another thing we do is we send a note off to the website that is hosting the phishing link and say, hey, you're, you're, you've got a website here that's phishing us. Can you disable that? That takes some time, but it is still, we want to get that taken down as quickly as we can. Uh, sometimes if it's bad enough, we'll, we'll actually look at our, network flow, we can see the, the traffic moving through our network and we'll look to see 
if anybody clicked on that link. And if they have, we'll look to see if did they, we'll, we'll try to determine did they provide a password or something like that. And we will sometimes lock accounts because of that. So I always tell people, don't click the link because I can't tell what you typed, but if you clicked it, we may just lock your account because you clicked the link, which is kind of a heavy-handed approach sometimes, but it's it, it prevents us from getting a lot of, uh, from uh, from suffering a lot of damage to that. So right. have you heard other institutions seeing an uptick like just in the last year, like during the pandemic, has there been any kind of trend? Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know a cause and effect, but has the activity been up over the last year? It's definitely been up. It hasn't been a, a huge rise uh, over the last few years. It's, it's just kind of this slow trend. What changes is the bad guys take advantage of current events. And they write their messages focused on that current event. So what you see now is a lot of COVID phishing that's based on COVID. Uh, click CDC here to warnings, get your COVID. Yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, the warnings they want a, a link to say, click here to get your check. You know, your COVID relief check. If you click here, we can help you get that. Here's where you can go to get a vaccination. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're 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 trying to get in there. They're, they they they've gotten to the point where it's it's Netflix scams, saying that you you have exceeded users in your Netflix account, and that comes oh, yeah. over, and and those aren't real either. Yeah, these are these are con men. These are digital con men, right? Mm-hmm. They they are using typical con men techniques to try to trick you into doing things. They play on your wallet. They play on your emotions. Um, they play on trying to make your life easier. So um, those are the types of things they do. And it's uh, it's it's a tough fight to fight because they're always getting better. It's come a long way since being a Nigerian prince looking to transfer exactly. money. Absolutely. Yep. He, is, he still shows up from time to time. <laughs> True. <laughs> I wouldn't have you it any teach other in way. the iSchool, don't you? I do. I teach uh, intro. It's the 323 course, which is Introduction to Information Security. How have you seen that evolve? Um, you know what? It, it's interesting. The course, the course we try to keep current. Um, it's a very high level intro course, so we don't get too much into tech, into technology. But we try to keep the the topics current and and teach them the threats. What I think the most apparent evolution, which has really nothing to do with with what we're talking about, but it's oh, sorry. Um, no, that's okay. It's when I started teaching a course, I guess it's been seven, eight years now, there were very few women in my class. Mm-hmm. And now, I think this semester and last semester, more than half of my class are women. Having been in this industry for 25 plus years, that's a huge deal. That this, is- has, been, this has been a majorly dominated, uh, I said that wrong, but no, mostly male. It, yeah. is, it is dominated by white men. It just is. Yeah. As a woman in IT, and that has been in IT for 17 years, it is dominated by a certain group. And I also have seen throughout time more and more people who look like me and who don't look like me be a part of it. So it's so cool to hear someone who is educating at that piece, seeing those same trends. Yeah, because it's good to see because we really do need it. I used to go to conferences and it's and it's just, you know, it was just 
It was a big boys club, to be honest. Walk into a Red Hat conference. You tell me how many yeah. of me you see, yeah. right? Like, so, <laughs> but, but it's, it, but it's important. And it, it's wonderful to hear that you, you not only are seeing more of them, but you're, you're inviting that because one of the, uh, I know Jason and I often talk about our teaching experiences as well, but for me personally, all it takes is one really off professor to push a woman out of STEM. It, it really does. It, 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 it takes somebody to say, you know nothing and treat it in this aspect that gets internalized. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I'm looking around. I am the only one of me. Maybe I don't belong here. So yeah. I commend you and I appreciate you. And on behalf of all women in, in STEM and IT, we need more of that. We, we really yeah. do. It's, it's been exciting to see that, that um, it's changing. And I think it's important. So. Me too. And so, with your um, with your teaching background, and you're you're teaching us, you know, already today in this episode, you're teaching us about information security beyond phishing awareness. What are some other, you know, quick fixes that people can do to to better protect their data? When you when you when you have the, and I'm so, I'm sorry if you can hear my cat meowing. Honus has made an Hi. appearance again. <laughs> Honus, whenever I'm on a call with Chris Crow, Honus has to be there. Curious. Like, she's Chris Crow fan. A big fan. <laughs> Of, you, how is her security? Does she feel secure? I, I can tell you that she sleeps soundly all day long, except for when I'm on meetings. So. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so just some other like quick fixes or what are like my things to know about my data security? Should I have the same password everywhere? That's an easy one. The answer yeah. is no. Absolutely. Wait, the answer what? is no. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I have, no. a good, I have a good story to that. Because, and here's why. Um, we often get notified of these big compromises outside of Syracuse University that have been made public, right? We will grab, and if they're made public, we'll go get them. And we'll do a search for every account that has syr.edu in it. If that syr.edu has a password, we'll see if it's an accurate password. And if it is, we'll lock the account because that means they have reused their password elsewhere. The first thing the bad guys do is they will they will take those accounts and see where the email address belongs, like so Syracuse, and they will try to use those passwords on our resources. Don't reuse your password because if it gets if it gets um, used somewhere else and we find it, we'll lock your account. So best not to do that. So so that's one thing you can consider identity protection services, things like that. They'll help you too. I think question. When people are asking for information, you should feel free to question, do you really need it? Um, mm -hmm. I, I would question my doctor's offices when they said, we need your credit or your social security number. And I'd say, what are you going to do with it? What's it for? And if they couldn't answer that question, I wouldn't give it to them. I've never had anybody refuse me treatment because I would not provide an SSN. So, you know, and you've got to protect yourself. So be willing to stand up when people are asking for information about you. Yeah, because exactly. you almost feel like you're being rude. Like, no, I won't yeah. give you that. Yeah. Well, you can't tell me why you need it. <laughs> yeah. That's where malicious actors tend to come in, too, with, with a lot of things. And it all, I always try to remember um, that, like, who's in control of the conversation and who called whom. If somebody is calling you to ask you your yeah. information, that's probably a really bad time to give them that information. Right. And you yeah. are allowed to say, I do not feel comfortable. May I have a callback number? There, I have worked for companies in the past where I've had to reach out to people to gather information. And one of the things 
things I would say is here's my callback number. I would feel more comfortable if you called me back so that you knew we were talking to the person who is representing this organization because anybody could call and say, I represent this organization and this is the information I need. And we are, humans are very trusting. We, we just are. And that tends to be our downfall at times. Yeah. And, and again, the, the bad guys play on that. They play on the fact that we're trusting. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I hate to tell people don't trust anybody, but, (laughs) but I think you should, you should question and you if you're not sure, you know, ask somebody another good rule of thumb. If if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, you're not going to click on a link and get $500. Nobody's going to pay me $800 a week to read their emails for them. No. Uh, well, you know, maybe, but I, I don't, I might, cause I have over 9,100 emails <laughs> oh, right now. No. So I, I, I actually might pay somebody that to do that. But, um, you hear that students? <laughs> but, I, but I won't do it via email. So. Fair enough. All right. I think I, it has come to the time to get to know Chris Crowe a little bit better. I have two topics that I want to talk to our chief information security officer about in addition to data security. Number one, uh, behind you is, is hanging a guitar. So how long have you been playing guitar? Well, I think saying playing guitar is very generous. Um, <laughs> I've, been, guitar? <laughs> I've been plunking guitar for uh, probably 10 or 12 years. I'm good at chords and, I, and when I'm sitting by myself in my room, I think I'm amazing. <laughs> but um, it is I, I strictly play for myself and nobody else so who is your who is your favorite guitar player why well, I, I can pick why have i just lost eric clapton sorry eric clapton <laughs> so like acoustic unplugged eric clapton or like cream era eric clapton or oh, solo eric clapton what was that yeah, solo eric clapton solo, solo eric, eric clapton yep. yeah do you have a favorite eric clapton song we're going to go deep on the eric clapton podcast oh, wow um, not really any, anything bluesy. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. I like he's, he's doing his bluesy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay. So I, I won't ask you to play for us right now, but I also <laughs> know, and I'm, I'm going to have to back out of the conversation at this point. Cause I don't know anything, but I know you are a board game fan. So I what know. board games do you play? Because I don't think it's like Scrabble, right? Like these are like, uh, Catan type. Well, I understand it's a board game, but I don't think that's what we mean when we talk about board games right now. Yeah. Well, you know, since COVID, I, I don't get the chance to play as much as I used to because my family are not geeks like me. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's been a while. But I like uh, I like Munchkin. I like um, Ticket to Ride. I have never played Catan. I, I, I need to play it someday. But really? I've never, that yeah, is the starter yeah. Euro. Everybody plays Catan. <laughs> Except for me. I don't play Catan. No. No, you know what? It wasn't my starter game. Uh, as as you get into board gaming as a hobby, there are definitely games that are lighter and games that are heavier. And Catan is one of those really great ones that teaches you all the mechanics of how a European game plays. Yeah. Um, but it's not the only one out there. And the hard part is, is once you move beyond the starter games, sometimes they don't offer enough meat to stay in them. And for me, since Catan was not my intro game, I don't pick it back up because there's so many better games than Catan out there, which is going to cause a lot of hate in some communities. <laughs> Thankfully, not the SU communities, but I just made very angry a board game in community by that <laughs> statement. <laughs> We're really trying to troll the board game uh, community just to get our, our relevance up. That's, What's that's funny is I keep pointing 
over there, my husband is a podcaster for a board gaming community. And I'm like, that community would be so bad. <laughs> What's the game you got to play? Uh, Cones of Dunsmore or? Cones of Dunshire. Oh, oh, Dunshire. And Dunshire. Dunshire. Yeah. Parks and Rec. From Parks and Rec, yep. <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to play Risk one time, but by the time we had it set up, I was done. You were done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, this is way too hard for me. I it's can't called the Monopoly out. Effect. It, yeah, it is. If you go anywhere and ask somebody if they like board games, they're like, oh, yeah, I love Monopoly. And it's like, oh, yeah? When was the last time you finished a game of Monopoly? Like, truly, sit down. Think. <laughs> finished. You f- you finished. You sat until the last person played the last card. Is is throwing the board across the room considered finishing? That's I finish, will yeah. call it a finish. <laughs> of course. My brothers used to do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, Earthquake Earthquake is a valid strategy. Earthquake is a good strategy. <laughs> so Shakes what, up the market. What my son has done over the last, well, yeah, uh, a year now, is he's been playing D&D with his friends, but they do it by Zoom. So, like, someone has, like, the dot cam, and they're, like, they have, I guess there's, like, a map. I don't know that much about it, really. Um, It keeps them occupied for an hour every week. But, um, so they, like, you know, they they roll the dice in their independent, you know, pods, wherever they are living, and then they kind of go through the story together. So that's been really neat. Like, that's my my main board game exposure. But... I used to play, and I, I, I'll be honest, if I could find a, a 55-ish age group of D&D players, I'd probably play. I think <laughs> because... we could find one, Chris. <laughs> Hi, I've got a bunch of 40-year-olds that play every other week, Chris, if you ever want. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> once, <laughs> maybe, yeah. It's... it's uh... It's 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 not fun to play with a bunch of people who are in their teens and twenties, and it's just uh, you know because they just don't have the same vision of the world. They not that there's anything wrong with people in nope. their teens and twenties. Oh, we're gonna have to edit this out. I'm gonna make all our speech. We've already ostracized all of the bases. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's just not. Um, you need to play with people who are dealing with their mortgage and <laughs> and the fact that their hot their hot water heater blew up the other day and and you know, that's, that's why they need the treasure out of that dungeon right now. You have no exactly. idea. I have infrastructure to build, and that that's gold right. is mine. <laughs> well, I Which think you get out of Munchkin. And Munchkin is like a little dungeon delver. It's it great. Yep. It's totally a dungeon delver. Does Does Ticket to Ride have anything to do with the Beatles? It has no. a lot to do with trains. All right, I'm out. I thought I thought it was a Beatles game, and I was interested, and now I'm I'm no longer interested. No, you are a railroad conglomerate, and you are yeah. trying to build the most, the longest and bestest train that you could possibly do. That's going to take your passions yours the farthest and the fastest. And if you can do it better or, than all, or oh, go for it. Yeah. Or if you play like me, you're trying to ruin everybody else's strategy. And you are <laughs> all of my transcontinental everything's. <laughs> That's why right. Andrew is trying to complete to... that route. I think I'm going to put a train there. Here comes my little blue train. <laughs> boop, boop. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Yep. And that's where you get table flipping from. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris Crowe, thank you for going down all of these uh, side streets with us in our conversation about, if you recall, it started with information security and then we ended up on Munchkin and Ticket to Ride, which is how this podcast works. So, uh, Chris, <laughs> thank you again for joining us today. Sure. I was happy to be here anytime. Good. And uh, dear listener, as always, if you made it this far in the episode, give yourself a medal. We are at SU underscore ITS on Twitter and Instagram and also on the Facebook. And Jason and Andrea, good to see you as always. And always happy to be a part of this. We're all winners, even though we didn't play a game today. That's true. Everybody wins today. Everybody gets a participation uh, trophy. So. Yay. Yeah.
Until the next time, everybody. Thank you very much. Have a great day.